listening. This is Coming Out Stories from What Goes On Media with me, Emma Goldswell. It's a podcast which pretty much does what it says on the tin. But this season, we're turning the tables and speaking to the parents of LGBTQ plus people to hear their story. In this episode, we're meeting another mum of a trans child. Sarah now volunteers for FLAG, helping other parents, but told me she had to go on her own journey of education and understanding first. Okay, so, I mean, I call them nuts. It's it's a nickname, um, but, I mean, we can talk more about that. There's, there's a, a reason that, that I call them nuts as well. Nuts. Nuts. Yeah. It comes from a, a childhood nickname. And part of the reason why it's appropriate to use that is that, I mean, they are in the midst of their transition. I mean, in some ways, to the outside world, I think they haven't transitioned at all. Um, and yet I cannot bring myself to use a male name and speak about them with male pronouns. And mm. so using a nickname and using they, them pronouns is, is the most comfortable thing for us at the moment. I mean, it's taken me a while to, to sort of understand that and, and not, not be comfortable with it because I always wanted to, to be comfortable about it. But tell you a little bit about them. They're, they're 25 now. Mm. And when they came out... They were 19 and it was a complete, a complete surprise, a complete shock um, to me because although we'd always said, oh, you know, he's a very sensitive boy and um, we'd even sort of joked and said when when they were little, he's not like other boys. Um, But there was absolutely no warning to me. I I had no knowledge um, that they might at some point come out and say that they were trans and I mean partly because of my own complete lack of knowledge. You probably didn't know any other trans people did you? Not as far as I know. You probably knew of people in the media or read about them but you probably didn't have much experience. Mm. But it wasn't something that was as far as I knew within my circle or anything that I'd even even thought about and also Nuts had always had girlfriends and so I didn't think they were gay so it just hadn't been on my radar at all. And they seemed happy as a child, certainly as a young child. I mean, now looking back, I sort of think, yeah, in their teenage years, they did withdraw a bit. But then I thought that was normal. You know, they were my only child. And I thought, well, you know, this is what teenagers are like. And they went off to university and they went to SOAS in London. And we live in Cornwall. And I visited in the first term and I saw everything was fine. They were quite solitary, but they were kind of hanging around in Bloomsbury and reading a lot of Virginia Woolf. And that was normal for Nooks. That sounds like a great student life. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. That, that's absolutely normal. Um, but when they came home at Christmas, something was really, really wrong. And I couldn't work out what it was and they didn't want to talk about it. And I tried to sort of create an atmosphere where they would want to talk and share whatever it was, but but that didn't happen. And eventually, I think maybe on Christmas Day itself, they said, oh, I, I don't know if I'm going to go back to university. Um, and then the day before they were due to go back, and they, they obviously hadn't booked a train. And I said, well, look, what's happening? You know, are you expecting me to give you a lift back to London? Like I can do, but, you know, what's going on? They said, I'm I'm not going back. And I was surprised because they were sort of 
very sort of academic studious sort of person. And friends sort of said, oh, they couldn't cope with London or they couldn't, you know, it was too much of a change. And I was like, no, it's not that, because actually they had been travelling about in London and going to events and meeting up with other people. And to me, it felt like a really long time then where I didn't know what was happening. And you'd been to visit them in London and yeah, thought yeah, that they were having a good there. life there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it seemed to be, you know, I thought, suiting them down to the ground, just, you know, what the stuff they were into, you know, music, gigs, that sort of thing. It, that was all happening. They were doing that. So, yeah, it was a sort of a strange time at home. And then so it was only about six weeks, but it seemed to me to be an absolute lifetime. Well, they were probably hanging around the house and not having a purpose, weren't they? If they were supposed to be at university, but weren't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they hadn't got a job or anything like that at that point. Um, and I should say that when, when they were little, I was a single parent with Nuts for a long time. My marriage broke down and we were together and it was kind of, me and Nuts against the rest of the world. We were very, very close. Yeah. Um, by this point in their lives, then I had remarried um, and we have three children between us. But that was very comfortable sort of family position. The children, I mean, I say children, they're all in their 20s now. But yeah. I mean, they, they're on good terms. They're not very, very close, but they live together as sort of older teenagers. Um, and Nuts gets on well with my husband. So... You know, it was, a, it was a different family situation, but still a comfortable one, a happy one. But they chose a night when my husband had gone away to visit other family and the other two children were with their mum. And Nuts came to me one night, very late at night. I'd already gone to bed and said, mum, I, I think I should tell you um, what's going on, why I haven't gone back to university. And I remember being sort of very... <laughs> anxious but trying to be um very calm and I mean they broke the news to me so beautifully I mean they were amazing they held my hand and they explained very hesitantly I mean it was difficult for them it it took Mm. a while to, to bring it out but they explained that over a number of years they'd been coming to terms with the knowledge that they were trans and that being away at university and being on their own so much had forced them to really face up to this and they realised that they they couldn't keep it in anymore and they were going to have to do something about it. And the first thing they did was to tell their girlfriend and after that they just wanted to come home and tell me. And what happened with the girlfriend? Did she stay um, They're girlfriend? still together. Yeah. So, I mean, they've been together for eight years and I, wow. I love them, I love them, I love them. I mean, that is so beautiful to me and that is something that has really helped my understanding that, you know, this is the same person. Yeah. And if you love that person, it doesn't really matter. Well, it doesn't, but unfortunately, a lot of trans people find that their partners turn around and go, I can't cope with this, this isn't what I signed up for. Yeah. And you do speak to a lot of trans people who have, who have lost the love of their lives. You know? Yeah, yeah. So she's lucky in a way. I, I also don't judge those people. You know, it, it is a big thing to mm. to get your head around, but it, I think if you can understand it in those terms, it's actually very, very beautiful. And I also think it's 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 very empowering for everyone to think, oh, actually, you don't have to be constrained by these labels, by these boxes. You you can just be who you are and hopefully meet someone who recognises you 
and and loves you, whatever. However, that's that's something you know. Well, we're quite a few years on now. You know, in that moment, on that night, I was completely lost. I remember Nuts asking me, "Or is there anything you want to ask me?" <laughs> and I I think I said something like, "Oh, I, I probably will want to, but at the moment, I you know, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I'm just sort of taking it in." I hoped that I remained very positive and supportive. And I'm talking to them later about this and saying, well, I think I managed to, I said I was completely shocked. I didn't know what to say, but I think I managed to cover it up. And they said, oh, mum, you so didn't. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But, but, but they did know that I wasn't rejecting them in any way, but yeah. they could see that I was pretty shocked because I... I guess you just didn't see it coming. It was a, it was a genuine shock, wasn't it? Yeah, and I also didn't understand. I mean, I understood basically what they were saying, but I just couldn't seem to really understand why this was happening or, or, or what I should do. And I remember at the time, all I could think of in my head, when they asked me, um, you know, you got anything you'd like to talk about? In my head, all I could think was, this is not happening this is not happening. Not because I wanted to prevent it, but I actually felt it was unreal. So much so that the next morning, I wasn't actually sure whether it had happened or not. Gosh. Do you remember saying, I love you and it doesn't matter? Because I think, you know, as LGBT people, that's kind of all we want to hear, isn't it? There might be shock and there might be some stuff that you don't want to hear, but essentially all you want to hear is just those words, you're, you're my child, I still love you. Yeah, I remember saying, I love you. And I remember saying, thank you. Thank you for telling me, because I'd been so worried, not knowing what it was that had upset them. So in that moment, I was very grateful, and there was some relief in knowing knowing what it was. Because that must have been, like you said, it was only six weeks, but it must have felt like an incredibly long time. And, you know, to having a child that's clearly in distress and not knowing what's wrong with them must have been a terrible place for you. But it didn't end then, although I said there was some relief in knowing then I felt this terrible guilt because they had been struggling with this for five or six years. Yeah. And I had been completely unaware and I had done nothing to make it okay for them to talk to me about it. And, and this is something that has driven me later on. That is why I now volunteer. That is why I'm still involved because it didn't take me very long to find the information that I needed to be able to support my child. And I say child, I know by then they were 19. I know they weren't mm. little, little child, but... But you didn't say anything that you can remember as being overtly transphobic or you didn't no. make any comments about trans people. No. So they wouldn't have had a sense no. that you would have been unsupportive. No. No. But I was very aware that I didn't know what to say and I almost couldn't say anything for fear of saying something wrong. I mean, it was probably better to keep quiet until I could gather my thoughts, but... You know, I wish I could have said more, but I also really wish that as a family, we had had conversations about LGBT plus lives with all the children mm. much, much earlier on. I mean, in the same way that I talked to Nuts about all sorts of things. I mean, we talked about sex and we talked about love and we talked about lots of things early on in, in simple terms so that. I thought, you know, I'd done the things that we needed to do that made that 
that conversation open and easy. But I had completely, because of my own lack of knowledge and experience, completely missed out. I think that's very common, though, isn't it? Because as cisgendered person or as a straight person, it's not in your framework, is it? If you don't know people, it's very the world is very heteronormative. The, the world yeah. is very cisgendered normative, isn't it? That's that's the yeah. world that we live in. So you are having to go out as parents and educate yourself, aren't you, really? Particularly as I think parents whose children are coming out now, quite often those parents will have grown up and been at school under Section 28. Yep. So if there was nothing in your own family, you certainly weren't going to be told anything about it at school. Or in fact, it was going to be this sort of horrible secret so therefore something actually wrong about it so you definitely then wouldn't bring it up and talk about it so I think you know I sort of give myself and other parents of similar ages a sort of break a little bit about that but still that was a really strong urge that I had straight away to inform myself and there is that kind of mad parent thing about I'm going to fix it all I'm going to sort it all out anyway I think going back to section eight I think it's quite fine to blame anything on Thatcher (laughs) yeah I'm quite happy to do that too. <laughs> yeah. But again, going back to her childhood then, because I mean, I've spoken to enough trans people to know that I'd, I'd say most trans people probably know when they're a, a young child. You know, if you go back to the first episode of this series, we spoke to a mum called Annie, whose daughter said to her, at the age of three, I don't want to wear boys' clothes anymore. At the age of three. You know, and I've spoken to trans people in their 60s who came out at the age of four. You know, it's it's something that is... You know, if you are trans, it's it's within you. Maybe it takes longer for some people to work it out. I don't know. But were there no signs growing up as as a child at all? No, not that I noticed. And also with nuts, I, I sort of said, you know, we had lots of conversations. We've had lots of conversations over the years since then. And I've said, I'm sorry, I said I should have known. And they said, well, I didn't know what it was. So how would you have known? Uh. And I also, I wonder, because when they came out, what I heard was I'm transgender so what I imagined was okay you are now going to transition to female you're going to change your name to a girl's name and in fact they have selected a girl's name but actually they haven't started using it yet and you will yeah and you will present in a feminine way and you will do all sort of thing but no they don't do those things they they see themselves as female they haven't particularly changed their the way they dress. Funny enough, when we go out together, people perceive them as female quite often, and they are addressed as female. But apart from growing their hair, they haven't really changed their appearance. They haven't yet, partly because of waiting times, had any kind of medical help for their but, transition. But they have applied to, to see... Uh, oh, yeah. To go to a gender clinic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we did that straight away, and that was one of the first mm. things. Because I think there is that thing as a parent... you. You then want to help, you want to sort things out. So one of the first things we did was to go to the local GP, and that was within a week, and got um, referred. So that referral was six years ago in February. After 18 months, they had their first appointment. They have not had their second appointment yet. (gasps) And is that partly the pandemic, or is that just the sheer volume of people that are... Sheer volume. So, so much to the point where, you know, when parents, because I suppose particularly of younger children, you often, often hear parents of trans youngsters, you know, worrying about things are going to change, things are going to change really quickly. And that was a worry for me at the beginning. 
now. It's like, come on. I want them to go private. I want to help them. So that if you told me on that first night that I would be trying to push things ahead and rush yeah. things on, although it's not rushing, is it, after so long? You know, you it, it, it's not a fast thing. They must be incredibly frustrated about by that. Oh, yeah. But I also sometimes wonder what the intention of their transition is and whether they're still developing and exploring with that. And and that seems to be, for me now, also okay. Whereas at the beginning, I understood, I'm going to transition, right, this is going to happen, I'm going to have hormones, I'm going to have surgery, I'm going to change my name, I'm going to present like this, hmm. etc. And now the transition it will be their choice, and whether they feel more free if people understand who they feel that they are, will they need to, to choose? Oh, interesting. And have you had that conversation with her? We've tried a little yeah. bit. I've yeah. tried a little bit. I don't want to stir up more frustration with the waiting, mm. but I've certainly um, tried to encourage you know them to have some money from me and, and go privately and do that. I think there is a, a fear there still of of going through all that. It's not an easy thing to do. It's really difficult, isn't it? But also things aren't always clear-cut, are they? So, no. you know, there's a lot of talk about binary these days and a lot more no. people are identifying as non-binary. And the same way that sexuality is on a spectrum and, you know, the bisexuals always get forgotten about, but everything is on a bit of a spectrum, the same as it is for gender. Yeah. So it's not always clear-cuts, is it? And I find that really, really interesting. And that was the information that I needed to, to get that kind of full understanding and then kind of let go of it and realise that this is about them. I will support them in whatever way that I can. It's, it's, it's not appropriate because they're not a young child to go marching in there and trying to get everything mm. done. But that is the urge of a parent, I think, sometimes to just, you want to, help them you want to make it all right and that's very difficult when it's something that you haven't foreseen don't know anything about and then you're learning as well the best way to help and I guess that's what led you to your volunteering is that you then um, went to go and get the help of an organization tell us a little bit about that journey well I was very lucky because I went to a family gender identity family support day with Nuts and and with my husband quite early on, a few weeks after after Nuts broke the news to us. And um, I didn't want to go <laughs> because I thought it was private and I didn't want to talk to other people about it. But it was a, a meeting that's run by a charity in the Southwest called the Intercom Trust, who are amazing. They do youth clubs and stuff in schools as well, but they have these family days where families with um, gender variant or questioning children, young people can go and, and just share experiences mm. um it's such a relief to be in a room with other parents who you can sort of lay out all your fears and you know they're not going to judge you and it's an opportunity as well to talk to parents that the young people can go off and they do activities and stuff and so you can share your darkest thoughts and fears stuff that you don't want to say in front of your children you don't want to burden your children with but actually it's a relief to sort of talk about that and someone else will say oh i know exactly what you mean Mm. Oh, I, I felt like that. Or or equally interestingly for me, oh, I didn't feel like that at all. Oh, I wasn't worried about that. That's also really powerful. It's like it makes you think, oh, yeah, is that a problem? You know, so it was, it's really supportive, really great. And there was a, 
um, one of the flag trustees was there. And through that, I learned about the charity flag. And quite quickly, I wanted to volunteer with them because that's what we offer, peer support to parents, uh, a listening ear. We're not experts. We can't give advice, but we certainly won't judge. And we'll, we'll sort of signpost to other resources that we found useful. Yeah, and as you said, there's nothing better than talking to people who have been in the same position as you because they're not going to judge, are they? And they may have been no. in exactly the same position as you and they're just the best people to talk to, aren't they? Yeah, it's, it was a, a great, great relief. And yeah, it, it, it's it, it's turned into a, it's like a huge sort of joy in my life. I mean, this experience overall, okay, at the start, I was knocked sideways. I couldn't go to work for a few days. I cried a lot. But now I would say, you know, it, it's been such a positive thing in, in all our lives. I mean, my relationship with Nuts. I mean, if you can share something so personal and so difficult, I mean, it shouldn't be difficult, but it, it was difficult. I mean, now I sort of feel, one, yeah, we're closer than ever. And two, I also really think, you know, to know who you are, and that in the face of everyone sort of telling you and society telling you, you're, you're not that, you're this. But to know that, to be able to come out and say it and, and live it, I just think, wow, they're really sensitive and they're also really strong. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to the crying and the being upset, was that, do you think, because you were grieving the loss of the child you thought you had? Or was that because you were scared about how the rest of society or the world would judge her and how difficult her life would be? Can you articulate that at all? I think it's it was all those things. Yeah. I mean, I think at first it was just complete shock and there was a lot of fear. I mean, I'm I'm really ashamed of this, but images came into my head of, it's awful things like, bad transvestites that that was the image I had in my head mm. and I thought I don't want my child to be exposed to this sort of ridicule mm. um yeah it's hard for me to say that but that was a thought and then yes there was this really strong sense that my my beautiful little boy my beautiful little baby that was the feeling I had that there was lost and I, I could remember holding then in my arms as a baby and they were perfect and the thought that they would have to undergo a sort of awful surgery or anything like that there's this thing about me that perfection there but of course with a bit of time you know they're not a baby they were 19 hmm. and they were still that baby and they were still perfect and and now they're developing like this. I mean, everybody changes. Everybody changes in appearance. Everybody grows up. But there was that, yeah, there was a grief. And yet, I didn't really see them doing anything very different with their lives now than they, they would have done. No, thank you for articulating that, because I think that's that's hard. It's hard to admit that as a parent, but it's really important, I think, for us as LGBT people to understand what what parents go through which is why I was so keen to do to do this series really so you mentioned there that but they have still gone on to do what they're doing with their life did they finish university what are they no. what are they up to they haven't gone back to university they did actually reapply and go back and go to the same university as their girlfriend having been pleased at the beginning that they'd chosen different universities because I thought it's important to do what you want to do don't be influenced by you know I was then very relieved that they'd gone to the same place because I knew they would have support I knew they would have 
you know, someone loving them and looking after them. Um, but they didn't they didn't manage to see that through. And I think that's partly because they still couldn't be fully who they are. And mm. I do feel very sad about that. You know, they're in their 20s. This is a time when you should be living your life to the full and, you know, doing all sorts of crazy things. And I sometimes I feel, you know, perhaps they're held back. However, I don't know, because they've moved to Bristol, they have set up a sort of record label and um, they run sort of club nights on a particular type of music, footwork music, not, you know, it's not for me. I shouldn't go along. I don't go along (laughs) to the club nights, but, you know, it's a a scene that they're sort of very into and when COVID came, they moved everything online and that's what inspired them to sort of do the record label because they were just doing club nights. So they have a good life. You know, they live with their girlfriend in a small way, doing what they want to do with music. So you must be very happy and proud of her now. Yeah, I'm so pleased. I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm really proud of them. I'm really proud of everything that they've achieved and and, and the way they, they're just getting on with life. And if you had any advice that you could give to, to other parents that uh, are at the beginning of their journey, really, what, what do you think you would say to them? I mean, at the beginning of the journey, I would say, it's ridiculous to say don't worry, but don't don't worry. Yeah. You know, things are going to move very, very slowly. Listen to your child. Be guided by them. Let them know that you love them. And it will unfold from there. There's a lot of support and help out there. You know, you, you can look things up. You can find a lot of stuff online. You can find great organisations and and charities to help make sure that they're looked after at school make sure the school is up to scratch because they are actually obliged to protect your child and make sure that they're okay and there's lots of advice and, and and information about how you can get that done as well and you can actually be a help for your school if the school isn't really dealing with it properly you can say well hang on, yeah, I can help you here because you're obliged to do this. Mm. <laughs> this is what you need to do and and, and kind of make an ally of them and, and sort of see if you can do it in that kind of collaborative way where the school wants to be on board. Because a lot of schools do. Most schools will try, but they may not have the information and the knowledge to do it. And, of course, you're yeah. involved with FLAG, aren't you? Are they based yeah. in London or do they have sort of programmes all over the country or do a lot of stuff online? How does it work? Yeah, we're all over. We we have a lot of resources on our website and I would say particularly our booklets, which we've developed with LGBT young people and with trans young people and with parents. So there's a lot of quotes, a lot of um, anecdotes and experiences in there. We've got um, local groups in some areas in the country and some we're affiliated with that are not flag groups but other parent groups we also have an online zoom parents group now that runs monthly something that flag bristol the local parents group in bristol did during covid and then realized it was such a good resource so they've gone back to meeting in person in bristol but they also run this online um, meeting so people can join from wherever they are if you go to the flag website uh, that's flag with double F. You can find all the support and resources there. And we also have a telephone helpline. The parents can ring or email support. And if you contact us for that support, you'll be talking to another parent. 
It's so good to hear all of this because, you know, we mentioned Section 28 and, uh, you know, things were quite difficult in the day. And there's a lot of transphobia out in the world now, but there is also the support and the help, you know, and it's yeah. you have got to cling to the to the positives, haven't we, of what's in society. And I must say that most parents who contact us are actually saying, I don't have a, a problem with this, so why am I so upset? They want to support their child and they are supporting their child, but they can't understand why, you know, why am I upset? And they need to let that emotion out. And that absolutely is what we're there for. Because, yeah, you you do feel those those emotions. And, and some parents still jump to the conclusion that I won't have grandchildren. It's like, well, <laughs> you might not have had them anyway, but your child being LGBT isn't the reason why you won't have grandchildren. You, you know, you may or you may not, but that's not going to be the, the block to that. My, my father learned that the hard way. That was the first thing he said when I said I was um, gay. He said, oh, no, I'm not going to have any grandchildren now. Um, and my partner is pregnant and we're welcoming a baby girl in April. So there you go. Congratulations. It it can happen at any time to anybody, LGBT or whoever. Yeah, exactly. But that's one thing. And also parents do mourn the loss of the future that they thought their child was going to have. But actually, that future was never going to happen. And now you're going to find out your child's real future. And that's really exciting. That's really great. So a quick update since that recording, that baby that was due in April came in March, so I am now a proud mummy. A big thank you to Sarah, of course, for sharing her story. And if you want to find out about the support that FLAG can offer you, just go to their website. That's fflag.org.uk. FFLAG.org.uk. There are some really great resources on there actually, and you can also find links to parent groups across the UK. Uh, don't forget, of course, if you do have a trans or non binary child, there's another great charity offering support, and that's Mermaids. More at mermaidsuk.org.uk. Next episode, it's time to meet another dad. Des has not one, but two gay sons. He now has a proud father t-shirt that he wears to pride, but he did struggle initially. When your kids are born, you shoot a movie of their life in your head. You know, but the movie that I'd shot in my head was heteronormative, you know, they were going to get married, they were going to have kids, I'd take the grandkids to the football. You shoot the movie of their life, which clearly bears no relation to reality and it's not it's entirely self-created fiction but you do latch onto that and therefore when they did come out there was a switch there was a sort of almost grieving process or readjustment process where I had to change my view of what their life was going to be like 